Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Podcast. This is the last day of our special New York Fashion Week edition of the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How's it going, Jill? Good. Tired. Yeah, me too. It's been a long week. We've been running um, daily episodes of the Glossy Podcast, interviewing all sorts of cool people. We've had Hanako Maeda from Adium. We've had editors like Willa Bennett from High Symbiety. Um, We've done a lot of podcast episodes um, for New York Fashion Week, but today's the last day, so we're just closing it out with a kind of a a week in review style, just chat with me and Jill to kind of talk about some of the stuff we've seen. Um, But we will have lots more Fashion Month coverage in future episodes, so stay tuned for that. But today we're going to talk just about New York Fashion Week. Um, Like you said, Jill, it's been a long week. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the things we saw. I want to start by talking about some of the shows that... uh, the stuff that happened at shows that was not just showing the clothes, basically. We talked about how there was a lot of entertainment, a lot of cool, you know, spectacle kind of things. Um, the things we like to see at, at Fashion Week shows uh, beyond just, you know, clothes on models walking up and down the runway. So, Joe, what did you observe and what, what did you see around that? Yes. So designers definitely took the opportunity to put on a show. We had Jackson Wiederhoft here and his show on Tuesday uh, – there was choreography, the whole thing. It, it was reminiscent. He has roots at Tom Brown mm-hmm. um, and kind of the drama of it all really uh, reminded me of that. Uh, there are various, I think, I don't know, it was like a play, various uh, scenarios happening where it was a little bit hard to keep up What he, the story he was trying to tell. But mm-hmm. the clothes were amazing. I mean, Julia Fox was there in the, in the front row. She herself was a show in this statement look. Right, she was wearing like a wedding veil almost kind of. Look, our, our podcast producer, Ben, went to the show and, and sent us a picture. Um, yeah, it was some sort of like full body veil, like she was in a tent. Yes, everybody, was, I was there. Everybody was taking photos of her. Um, it was cool. But yeah, at the same time, we had uh, the designer of from ADM, Hanako, um, and they had at their show the principal ballet dancer from the New York City Ballet Company. Um in the middle of the show, there were ballet references throughout the show. So um, it made great sense to kind of tie it all together. And I think every instance where I saw a performance, it really tied to the collection in a beautiful way. So everybody that I'm mentioning was on our podcast this week, but Studio 189, uh, they had amazing dancers before, during, after. And they did something that I am not used to, which I was like, why don't all designers do this when it's all about like telling your brand story and brands are looking for opportunities to tell their story. Um, They're paying big bucks for these shows anyway, rather than just have models walk down the runway, everybody claps and it's done. Um, Abrima and Rosario got on the microphone afterward and said something about uh, what they stand for, what the collection um, meant for the season and put some some thought and some words behind it, which it was nice. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. I, I don't, You don't often see that. Um, I think a lot of times designers will just pop out for a second and they'll wave and maybe do a quick lap and they're all stressed and sweaty from all the stuff they're doing backstage. I was just talking to a designer this week who was telling me that that is her least favorite part of New York Fashion Week is having to make an appearance at the end because you're coming out you know, after all these world-class, beautiful, professional models are walking up and then you have to pop out and give a wave. And she just said it can be kind of humiliating or or maybe not humiliating, but can feel a little embarrassing or nerve-wracking. So I think that probably is why a lot of designers don't do it. Um, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, Abrima and Rosario are also both like very used to, you know, 
doing stuff in the public and, you know, they're very personable people. So it makes more sense for them to do it. But you're right. I do think more designers should give a little, I don't know, a little something, say a few words. I think that's nice. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the designers that did not do a runway show and that had a more kind of intimate experience, but also presentations are nothing new. And uh, definitely designers typically are making the rounds. Um, Alice and Olivia Stacy was there and talking to guests and getting her photo taken with all of them and um, doing interviews with press on site where um, I almost, I was asking if I could do an interview like before or after. And they're like, oh, no, she does interviews during. Just show up and we'll set it up, um, which was great. And also Love Shack Fancy's um, event, which I have never been to their show. It's only their third one. And Rebecca, the, the founder and creative director, was there um, in this amazing pink, of course, statement look. But I'm talking to everybody and anybody. She got up on the table with the models and did like danced around with them. And it was just a party atmosphere, a good old time. But the other entertainment that they had was like, um, they transitioned from a presentation where they showed their spring 2024 collection um, in Love Shack fancy way, flowers and um, chandeliers. And um, it was in an old, oh, I don't know if it was an old church. Anyway, it had that vibe. Um, But then at the hour, top of the hour at seven, it transitioned into their fragrance launch party. Mm. And at that time, they people were saying, don't leave, stick around. It's gonna, it's kind of like the fun is coming. And so um, they had some designer, or designers, some dancers on like, like doing acrobatic things on swings. I don't know what you call these entertainers. Tra- trapeze? Or? Maybe. Maybe. They were on heart-shaped swings, of course. It was Love Shack oh, okay. Fancy. It was very girly. Um, and women wearing flowers on (laughs) they came out wearing little flower hats and they were holding the fragrance bottles anyway it was just like it was something to see i would say i was entertained yeah and we also talked uh before the recording about christian siriano had sia perform at his show kind of as a surprise um i think there were a couple other surprise musical performances too um i think that's always that that can be fun um although you know weren't we just talking the other day about how fashion week schedules are so tight because it's like uh, you know, there's shows at 1 p.m., there's show at 2 p.m., show at 3 p.m. Sometimes if I'm going between shows and I see like, oh, there's going to be a concert first and then there's going to be a show and then there's going to be a dance. I'm a little bit like uh, looking at my watch like, <laughs> okay, this is all fun, but I do need to run to my my next appointment. <laughs> yes, I hear that. The calendar was interesting. Like there was definitely a lot of up and down Manhattan from Chelsea to Soho mm-hmm. to Chelsea to Soho. It just seemed like that was the thing. Nobody could agree on keeping, I don't know, people in one spot for a long time. Also, uh, I went to, I was mentioning to you the latest show that I'd ever gone to. Um, usually the parties start at nine or 10. I went to Dion Lee at, started at 10, technically 10.45. Um, so I know there was some crowding and it was fewer days than it used to be. I think mm-hmm. we were at, what, six? Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday, yeah, six days. Um, so anyway, it was packed. Yeah. Jam-packed schedule. Well, and I, when we were talking to Hanukkah the other day she from ADM, she said that if you're just going to do a bare-bones runway and just have uh, models walk up and down and, you know, that's it, you might as well just take the pictures and put them on Instagram and just skip the show. Um, and I do think that, like, if you're trying to make the most of New York Fashion Week, you're already spending a lot of money. You're already putting a lot of time and effort into it. You might as well, like, try to make it memorable. You might you might as well try to do something that can live on social afterwards that people will talk about. Like, you know, obviously, designers know that. They, they want to maximize the return from these shows. But I do think doing something other than just the clothes can be, you know, a good way to do that. 
Absolutely. And it gets people talking, which is what you want. They're tagging your show and Sia and everybody's seeing that you put on a show. I mean, Christian Siriano, that was my first show of the week and it's so memorable. All the big name designers who we love, Candice Hafine, Lauren um, Chan was there. Um, it was fantastic. So anyway, bravo, Christian. Let's yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned also some designers that didn't do big runway shows that did more intimate kind of things. Um, I know they were happening. I didn't really go to any like smaller showcases like that. Did you see some that were more like smaller scale? Yeah, I bounced around to a lot of the showrooms um, where they had the opportunity to go to the showroom. Um, it wasn't, I guess, technically a showroom. They a makeshift showroom where the designers set up shop. Um, another tomorrow it was very much um, presenting their lifestyle. They had um, actually took a postcard of the furniture designer. They had cleared a space. It was in the part of Chelsea where all art galleries um, on, I think, like the 10th floor of this building that was kind of a raw space. And they filled it with um, not like jam-packed, minimalist kind of design, but some great furniture and with their racks of clothing for the season. Um, they had their I guess, evergreen styles or seasonless. And then um, Liz, the designer, walked me through the latest and greatest, showed me some of the the amazing denim, which I didn't even realize they did denim. And she was telling me about their latest campaign with Carolyn Murphy and kind of how that's the next uh, bar for the brand. That's like, they're good. They're going to keep it at this level that proved really um, to work for them and made sense for them. So anyway, getting to talk to all the designers, I it definitely informed many stories that I'm going to be telling in the weeks ahead. Um, but hearing about what they're passionate about and what their uh, customer is gravitating toward, I was hearing a lot about the importance of versatility and wearability. Uh Amy Smilovic at her show. This was not an intimate kind of setup. This at was Tibby, right? at yeah. Tibby, yes. Pre-show, she was. Um, she talks a lot about the creative pragmatist and how her um, shopper is like smart. She's a, a scientist. She's a C-suite executive, um, and she likes these pieces that um, you know. We're not saying pink is the new black. We're speaking to her in a more um, sophisticated way about why you need this now and why it makes sense now, and it, it does have to do with that versatility. So anyway, I. I uh, met up with another tomorrow. I met up with Charles Harbison, um, who was at the Thompson Hotel. And he's there literally. A lot of them set up shop for two to three days. He, I think it was the whole week, through the 15th, maybe six or seven days. Um, and when I showed up, he it was jumping. Like he, it's regular. He's very popular. Um, I saw a real housewife star. <laughs> I saw um anyway, a lot of people that I knew, and he's just like had great energy and going through his collection with him, I was like, Charisma, I love you and I love your clothes. And <laughs> it was just like a happy place to be. Um, but yeah, he was telling me about also the evolution of the brand, the growth. Um, he has a bag called Ooh. Shoot, I can't think of it, but um, doing more accessories, and he's got a signature kind of silhouette that he's doing. He, one last person I want to mention, a brand, a new, a newer brand emerging out of the pandemic called Interior. Uh, two founders, a woman in marketing with uh, a marketing background, and her co-founder is formerly of Bodie. I hope I'm saying it correctly, but '80s vibes. They set it up. It was kind of, again, a bare bones space, but um, 
great art, old uh, TVs with VHS, old flip phones, and they had little props around that made it for, I don't know, set the tone for their yeah. collection, which was cool. Yeah, it, it seems to me that like those smaller intimate events what you sacrifice in scale, you make up for in sort of clarity. Like you were mentioning the Wiederhoff show was like cool and dramatic, but it was also a little bit unclear like what exactly was happening. But it sounds like a lot of the more intimate stuff you got, like sometimes you got a direct, you know, words from the designer about what they're aiming for. Uh, it can be a lot clearer and more, you know, whatever message you're trying to get across can be more, can be more clear. Um, I was thinking about uh, probably like the, the, I don't want to say driest, but there was an, a Mara Hoffman event this week where they they reintroduced the Fabric Act, and she kind of used her New York Fashion Week uh, event as a place to kind of reintroduce the the. This is like a sweeping law that is you know hopefully going to be passed this year that would um, offer a lot more protections for garment workers. And Mara Hoffman used her you know, kind of smaller, more intimate event to reintroduce that, and like that's the kind of thing that I don't know if you could communicate with like big sweeping trapeze artists flipping over the, <laughs> you know, runway or something. That's something that you maybe need the smaller, more intimate event and just kind of like talk about it directly in kind of clear words. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It just feels uh, very special. It, I'm sure it's not easy on the designer to talk, probably explain the same thing over and over to countless people. But uh, anyway, I got, I'll be more likely to write about those those collections just yeah. because I know more about them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It can be a little hard as a journalist to write a story that's like, uh, well, pink was there, like the color, you know, yes. it, as opposed to if you talk to the designer and they tell you what they're going for. I feel like for me as a writer, that can be a lot more helpful. Yes. And like you said, more likely for me to write about it. Yeah, another take on that, which is totally different, but um, I've mentioned it a couple of times. Joseph Altazara just puts these up, his inspo inspo book on the seats for um, attendees, and it's got uh, swat fabric swatches. It's got everything's kind of clipped in there, and it looks like um, like a designer's book, but everybody gets it. It's got um, his sketches kind of clipped in there. Um, I have about this is the third one that I've taken from that from my seat and like lay it out like a coffee table book, but it does tell you his uh, inspo for the season was Rosemary's Baby, and it had. Um, definitely like a cool classic vibe. We're, we're going to talk about how it was like accessory, accessorized to the hilt, like um, impeccably. But uh, yeah, I definitely, you can do it in other ways if you don't have the the time capacity, if, if you're looking to get more of a, a show experience out of what you're doing. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think he's yeah, do, do you remember um, right after the the Russian invasion of Ukraine started, there was that, I think it was a Balenciaga show and um, Demna had left, a, you know, a really thoughtful note on all the seats, um, just kind of explaining his thoughts on like his own status as as a, a refugee from, I think from Georgia is where he's from originally. Um, and I thought that was like the cool. rest of the show was not intimate at all. It was a big sweeping Balenciaga show, but you're right that like just some sometimes something like that can help offer some clarity too. Last thing I want to talk about is how this New York Fashion Week saw a good number of debuts, not necessarily from brands that were new, but brands who were showing at New York Fashion Week for the first time. Um, I spoke last week with Retrofed, who had their their first show, and you kind of alluded to this with Altazara, but the designer of Retrofed told me that one of the things they did was wait to do a big New York Fashion Week show until they launched enough categories to do a head-to-toe Retrofed look. He was like, I didn't want to have people on the runway until we could dress them head to toe, shoes, handbags, all that stuff, all the accessories. So I think for 
some designers, there's a sense that like there is maybe a too early time to do New York Fashion Week if you are not, I don't know, come into your own enough. Uh, but once you're there, I mean, it seems like a good place to to launch some of those things and let people know that you're kind of like a brand that can do all those categories. Yeah, it reminds me of the investment in the fashion show, like the investment in the store, the physical retail, because I we hear a lot from brands that they want to open a store when they can showcase their full lifestyle and they get to, um, sometimes there's home decor, sometimes there's accessories and um, it's really like ele- every element of the brand built out. Altazara, um, with the accessories, it was very clear they're building on, they're pushing their handbags, they're pushing their shoes, um, which was a collaboration. Every uh, model had a a knit, uh, a sweater kind of looped over her arm. And I was like, this is a merchandised out. I see what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I heard from um, someone at Tibby that shoes are coming or they're going to be doing more shoes. Um, And so their looks were very kind of Full and uh, even talking with Charles Harbison, he's going to be doing some shoes. He loves his flats with juxtaposition of his his formal gowns. Um, so I definitely saw more accessories, which was awesome. Um, yeah, Tibby had a great tote that was a play on the boat and tote <laughs> um, mm. from LLV. And so, uh, yeah, it was good. It definitely felt uh, there weren't any collections where in the past, sometimes I would be where I was like, you didn't really need a show. There wasn't much to see. I felt like everything felt very um, entertaining, but also full. Yeah, definitely. I, I also got to talk to a bunch of designers from, there was a show called Concept Korea, and they brought in a bunch of Korean designers. Um, again, not new brands, but brands that were new to the U.S. I think I think every brand that I talked to was over five years old. Some of them were over 10 years old. Well-known in, in South Korea, but this was their first time kind of showing in the U.S. And they all kind of had a similar thing to say, which is that for them, New York Fashion Week was like the big introduction to the U.S. market. And it reminded me that a couple of years ago for Glossy, I went to an Alibaba show that was out in Chelsea that was a similar thing, just introducing a bunch of Chinese brands. They had like four design, four or five designers in a row. Um and some of them have become like pretty popular outside of China. Angel Chen was one of them. That was the first time I heard of Angel Chen was at that show. And now I feel like that brand is, has done quite well internationally as as well. So um, it's cool. I like to see, you know, I like to go to Tibby. I like to go to Badgley Mishka, which I'm going later. Um, you know, all the big brands that are there all the time. But I one of my favorite things of New York Fashion Week is discovering brands that I've never heard of um, just because they had a cool show or a cool activation. I, I think that's a great part of it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some <laughs> trends that have come out of this week um, or some other highlights. Um, some other shows that I went to were like Dion Lee, like we talked about very late at night. Um, but there were some workwear references. Uh, I saw, I've i been seeing a lot of, I don't know, I would just say like slip dresses and such. But what else? What, what were your highlights, I guess? Well, one, not necessarily a trend highlight, but something that it, it seems like hasn't really changed. Multiple people told me that New York Fashion Week is still kind of a very last minute scramble kind of event, like casting, getting into the venue, like they're they're still making alterations to their clothes, to their designs, to their show, to the rehearsals up until like the very last second. And I remember hearing about that a couple of years ago and thinking that that seems like maybe not the best way to run things. I, I talked to somebody at IMG a few years ago who said that they would they would have big brands not even decide if they were going to do a show until like, 
I don't know, weeks or a month or two before. I asked around a little bit about that, and it seems like it's kind of still operating the same way. I was thought maybe the pandemic might shift some of those, you know, timelines, but it doesn't seem like it. So it still feels like a very stressful time for designers. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just another highlight or another observation that I have. Yeah, we talked a little bit on the site about who was at the shows. I I saw a lot of uh, the Bergdorf Goodman crew, but I saw a lot of the same people, but also uh, community members. Yes. Tibby talked about mm-hmm. inviting 50% of of her audience were, were customers. Um, and we heard that a couple of times, which yeah. is interesting. They had, there there were some brands that had customers and, and you know, people from the community walk on the runway too. Adore Me, I think, had a mix of uh, professional models and then just like people that they recruited. Um, they had this woman, Amanda Hernandez, I think is her name, who's just a nurse who was a fan of Adore Me and they called her up to walk the runway. I do think there's a little bit of a, a risk of that just because like modeling is a skill and you know, if someone's never done it before and it's like you, they show up on the first day and you have to like teach them how to model five minutes before the show starts, that can be stressful. But I, I think that's a fun way to like get the community involved and you know, also probably save on some money from <laughs> hiring professional models. For sure. God. Anyway, we saw some great shows this week. Yeah, we we saw a lot of great shows this week. Um, New York Fashion Week is ending, but we have lots more Fashion Month coverage. We're going to have a special London Fashion Week episode this Friday. And then starting next week, we will have Milan Fashion Week episodes two times. And then the week after that, we'll have two episodes on Paris Fashion Week. Uh, All throughout the rest of Fashion Month, we'll be covering a lot of Fashion Month stuff too with stories. So check all that out on Glossy. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast to hear all these fun episodes. Uh, And if you can, please give us a rating and a review, whether that's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this. That helps us out a ton. Um, Jill, I think you deserve a nap and a long (laughs) rest from all the New York Fashion Week you've been doing, but thank you for being here. 